Welcome, and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As associate pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Mark chapter 12 this evening, Mark 12. Appreciate the opportunity again to preach the Word of God. We have... We have been in a little whirlwind the last few weeks. Uh, definitely unusual for us to be like that. We like being steady Eddie and not changing schedule, but Fernando's mom and a family trip that, that she was going to do, then our kids came down for a few days. We've been kind of whirlwinding it and getting by, and uh, so I feel like a little bit out of whack this evening. But uh, So I'm going to whack something tonight. How's that? <laughs> and uh, anyhow... Uh, well, you guys got my notes up there for already. Good night. You got the first point up there already. What's going on here? And, uh, anyhow, okay. Just teasing with you. But anyhow, we'll stand on our feet, read a few verses, get into this. I promise you we won't be here too long because I'm going to go home and spoil some grandkids some more, all right, before they go to bed tonight. And uh, anyhow, good to see you. What a great crowd. I was saying that crowd's been great. And it's just been, been great. And uh, pray, pastor's right. Boy, most churches in America would love to have this crowd Sunday morning. Uh, man, he's, not, he's, he's serious when he says that. But let's look at verse 28, if you would. I want to help you out this evening about something we all deal with. Verse, Mark 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that they had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Isn't it amazing how we always want to know what we want to know, but we really don't want to know it? You know what I mean? We want to know the truth, but uh, I really don't want to know it. I just want, I want you to think I'm smarter than you are, right? And, and anyhow, let's go to verse 29. And Jesus answered him, the first of all, the, uh, the first of all the commandments is, it's the first commandment. One little word, hear, right? Let's go on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You can mark that word heart. And with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, it, second is like namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So everything else we know falls on these two commandments. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to do love I'm sorry to love his neighbor as himself is more than all, more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices and when Jesus had saw that he answered them discreetly he said unto him thou art not far from the kingdom of god and no man afterward after the, that thus ask him any Questions. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God this evening. Thank you, as we remind this morning, about if we have no Word of God, we have nothing. And we've wasted our time. But, Lord, tonight I know that through the ages that men and women have believed and grabbed hold of the promises of this wonderful book. It may have been just a piece of parchment handed down from grandfather to father to son through the years, but we believe what you said to us, and we thank you for it. And tonight, may we grab a hold of this truth from your word this evening. May we uh, adhere to what you have for us all this evening. In your name I pray, 
Amen. Thank you, as always. You may be seated. Appreciate that. And the reason we, all the reason we have you stand before we pray so you don't sleep, go to sleep so fast. <laughs> Some of you get down in your chair and your heart rate goes about 45 and you're ready to knock out for a while. Amen. And, uh, and that's me. I, I like doing that. But anyhow, I want to I uh, preach to teach to us tonight something I think very helpful for us this evening that, uh, that I see happening uh, amongst God's people, amongst God's churches. And we try to reinvent church. We try to reinvent how we should have church. We try to reinvent our music, try to reinvent our preaching, try to reinvent all we have to keep people engaged. And the problem with being engaged with God is not the church. The problem with being engaged with God is me. It's you. It's individuals. But we're trying to re-engage something to compete, I guess, with something to have something that we, is, is, to me in some ways is kind of fake, kind of phony behind the scenes, even though I don't think that's true, our true intent. But I want to give you tonight something, uh, how to reunite your passion for God. How to reunite your passion for God. The, there's great driving force behind any great art, we know this, a great drama, a great musical, a great, uh, great architect, uh, great writing is passion, passion. Nothing great is ever accomplished in life without passion. It's passion that keeps you up. It's passion that drives you to do what you like to do. It's passion that puts us where we need to be at in life. And what happens, I think, in a Christian life is that we lose our passion. Uh, nothing great is ever sustained in life without passion. You will not remain married unless you somehow maintain a passion in your marriage. And I know that gets harder. After how many years? 40, 40 years, you've got to find something else to reignite your passion. It takes, it takes some effort. It takes some thinking. It takes some time, and we need to do that. Person, uh, a passion is what engages life. Passion is what makes things possible. Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning. I'm going to tell you, a person who can't get up and get with it has no passion. There's no passion in life about anything. Uh, I got to tell you, a lot of times it was only passion that got this old body out of bed in the morning. Because the body didn't want to get up. The flesh is weak, but the mind is willing, amen, but the body doesn't want to go. And, uh, and I find out, uh, we were just talking a little while ago, I was talking to uh, Milton and, and Norma about this and also to Viola and uh, uh, Crystal about this a little bit ago. Isn't it amazing as we get older, we slow down, right? But time goes faster. That's backwards. Should be the way around. But as we get older, we know, folks, that as we get older, things slow down. We can't go as fast as we once did. And it seems like time just goes so quick. It seems like we were just here last Sunday. And it's gone so quick. And life does become monotonous. And it does have a routine to it. And it does become dull at times. And I do not like being out of my routine. And, and I may change the schedule with something needs to be done a little bit. But I like keeping my schedule. Get up about the same time. I do about the same thing every day. Uh, why? Because it makes me, uh, we'll get to the point in a little bit here where I want to get to. But it keeps me having that passion in life. And sometimes it is dull. Sometimes it is mundane, but I have a passion about life, and I want to do something that day. One day, a man walks up to Jesus, and he says to him, Lord, what is the most important thing in the Bible? And I think we've totally have lost this passage of Scripture. 
What's the most important thing in the Bible? As it was mentioned this morning, we were arguing and fussing about things that do not mean anything. Because Jesus said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. That is what the most important thing is in Scripture. Yes. We fuss and feud about things that don't mean anything. And we don't know exactly what they may mean or not mean. We weren't there, and we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to show everybody how smart we are. We write a book to make some money so we don't have to work anymore. Amen? But no matter that, the number one thing in life is that, that I, want to, I want you to love me passionately. God, what Jesus' answer to this man was, the answer is, you love me with all you got. That's what's the most important in the Bible. Nothing else matters. If you don't love God passionately, nothing else matters. And you will do everything else half-heartedly. God wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God, verse 30, with, uh, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. As I mentioned earlier, circle that word heart there. God is saying, I want you to put some muscle. I want you to put some energy. I want you to uh, have a relationship with me, but you can't be a wimp about it. You can't be a wimp. How's that? That, that, little, that little not PC anymore? Well, there are a lot of wimpy Christians today. Mamby-pamby Christians. How's that? I'll get worse. Mamby-pamby Christians. How's that? Write that in a news article. Amen. And I'll sign it. Past Dean Hunter. Amen. <laughs> but but you've got to have to put something into it. You can't be half-hearted about things. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do it with passion. Doesn't mean it's done perfectly. Doesn't mean it's always done first class. But you gave it everything you have. Amen. You give it some oomph, some spark, some zip, some enthusiasm, some zest, uh, live passionately. I understand, I mentioned already, I understand as I'm getting older that, that it's hard for me to work up that oomph. Anybody with me? It's harder to get that going again. And some of you look at me, my boys years ago looked at me and used to laugh, little laugh at me as, as I was getting older and things were changing. I couldn't do what I used to do. They used to kind of laugh at me. Now they're 32 and 34, and guess what? They ain't laughing no more. Because <laughs> they figured Dad knew what he was talking about. Well, sure, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. And it's not like it used to be. And, uh, but the Bible says that we are to seek God passionately. I'm going to be real plain here today. Three chapters a day is not serving God passionately. Because somebody one day came up with a plan to read your Bible through in three chapters a day, hooray for you. I got to tell you what, if I only gave my wife three chapters a day, she'd let me have it. And rightfully so. I said, Pastor Dean, I'm only a three chapter a day associate. Other than that, I'll see you later. I got a feeling he'd say, hey, you know what, Barry, you need to go find somebody else to do that with. Right? Some oomph. And I'm using that as an analogy to kind of compare things here. And you say, what are you thinking we should do? And I, that's between you and God, but I'm going to tell you what, if I love the Lord my God, the way I find out about him is in his book. I find out through his book. 
But we need some zip, and we need some zeal, and we need some enthusiasm, and I want to live passionately through this. And, and uh, the truth of the matter is, it's all through the Bible that people are passionate about God. They serve God. That's why they went through what they went through. And what they did, what they did, because they were living passionately, loving their God. And we're coming to a day in America, you're going to find out who's passionate and who's not. I see it coming more and more. When there's more people at the flea market when I go home from church Sunday afternoon than there are church Sunday morning, something's not right in America. And we're not 85% Christian, by the way, either. You with me? There's something going on there. And the fact the Bible says we're to seek him passionately, love after him. The Bible says that we are to serve him and obey him passionately. We're to be passionate about this. And that doesn't work out for you. Colossians says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto, as unto the Lord, Right? You put your, put your heart into it. You put it into there. And, and I could spend a lot of time on that. That's not really where I want to get to tonight. And he says, I want you to do everything passionately, loving me, serving me. Uh, that's what gets me up in the morning, gets me here to the church to work. And that's what gets me uh, to preparate, prepare for sermons and prepare whatever's going on and whatever job I may have happening. Why I'm passionate about serving God. Why I love him. I love them. Now, maybe not the way I should, but I sure love them. And I love my wife to death, and I sure want to serve her and help her out the same way. Why? Because I'm passionate about her. Right? Passionate. And we're passionate about a lot of things today, and I'll get that in a minute. See, we can be passionate uh, about things. In America, it's okay to be passionate about anything you want to be except God. Let me be political just for a moment. I had a conversation. We were gone a few days, and I had a conversation with a guy, and I said, isn't it amazing that we have people in Washington who say they represent us, they love God, uh, they love their country, but yet when something uh, uh, happens, like it's happened in the last couple of weeks, they say a lot, but they do nothing. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to do something. Right? So I'm really tired of the lip service from these people who say they're serving the people while the people are getting the brunt end of it. Well, do something. You're the leader. You're the guy who voted for. You're the whatever. Do something about this. Uh, uh, anyhow, but, uh, but don't you dare talk about God that way. I can be passionate about movies. And I can be passionate about sports. And I believe sports has become an idol with God's people. We're more concerned about our team and who's on the team than we are passionate about God God and Jesus Christ, our Savior. I I like watching a good game. I love when my team blows out the other team. I like that. But it's not going to be something that comes passionate to me. And they change players now faster than I change socks, so it don't make any difference. Amen. I mean, anyhow, I can be passionate about politics, and you can be. But don't be passionate about God. I can be passionate about fashions and clothes. I can be passionate about restaurants. And that's my favorite thing outside the Lord is restaurants. Amen. I'm passionate about some restaurants, and we all have our favorites. And it's amazing how two people can go to the same restaurant, and one loves it and one hates it. Right? Yeah, that's fine. That's great. He's passionate about that. 
Uh, I can be passionate uh, about a lot of things in life, but don't you dare be passionate about God. In fact, we're going to run, we're going to close you churches down. We're going to start, ta- we're going to start taxing you next. And I've told this to my church, and I think we've had the same philosophy here. You go ahead and tax us, we're not closing down. We're still going to serve God. It's not about tax-free or not. But I, I went on Amazon, we made a mistake, went on Amazon, and I put in this phrase in, book, in the book section, a passion for. You'd be surprised, a couple hundred books with the title, a passion for. And let me tell you what we're passionate about in America. We have a passion for birds. We have a passion for books. A passion for cactus. There's a book in there that says passion for cactus. I have no idea what you want to be passionate about a casket for. You can't get close to it. You can't hug it. I don't know. I have any idea what you want to do with a cactus. This is probably my favorite. A passion for chocolate. Now, I got that one. I'm all for that. Dark, German, Italy. I don't care. England. I don't care what they're bringing on. Uh, a passion for fashion. A passion for fishing. A passion for flying. A passion for gardening. A passion for golfing. A passion for hunting. In fact, we're all going to go to John's house afterwards and sight in his new gun he got off Amazon. He told me about this morning. Amen. <laughs> a, a passion for mushrooms. Mushrooms, a book written about a passion for mushrooms. And I'm going to get you the first five chapters to tell you how you can smoke it. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I'm sure somebody's using it for something. A passion for needlepoint. A passion for pasta. A passion for ponies. There's even a book that's called A Passion for Steam. Steam. Now, Tony Leonard may like this, and Rodney may like this. What's the big deal about steam? Uh, (laughs) If you didn't hear that, she said, that's been my question. Amen, Tony. Anyhow, I got you in trouble. (laughs) but in our culture what i'm getting to is this it's okay to be a passionate about everything you want to be passionate about but do not be passionate about your religion do not be passionate about the god who sent his son to die for you and to give you eternal life don't you dare be passionate about that see we can go to a rock concert or a political rally or a ball game, baseball game, and we can shout our heads off and act like fools and act like nuts, and the world thinks we're okay. But don't you dare go to church and be a little bit emotional about what's happening in church. Don't you dare shout out, and don't you dare show your emotions about how much you love God in a church service. You should be somber. And, and, and I, I'm going to tell you this morning, uh, we probably shocked my future daughter-in-law this morning. She had never seen what she saw this morning in church service. And she's probably thinking, what is wrong with my future in-laws? <laughs> I thought they were so laid back. And uh, we haven't really talked about it yet, but I'm sure it's going to come up. 
And we can get hoarse from yelling out loud. And my, listen, we can yell and scream as loud as we want to. And if your team loses, you can cry. It's okay. If your team wins, it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, and that's great. You can do what you want to. And I can go to the game and people say, boy, they're a real fan. You can paint yourself up and put all kinds of goofy stuff on your face and on your head and look like an idiot on TV. And it's okay. Don't you dare dress up and come to church. Don't you dare advertise Jesus. Don't you dare. Two things we can't talk about is politics and religion. Well, I don't believe that. Only one thing you can't talk about is religion. Everything else is go. Don't you dare do that where we're at today. Well, if you do that at church, woo, he's a fanatic. He's a nutcase. There's something wrong with him. If you don't want to, don't get too emotional about your faith, it's okay. Don't get too passionate. Today, churches are filled with hundreds and thousands and thousands of seniors who believe, like me, we've walked with God for a lot of decades, and we're still passionate about our God. Amen. And we're not changing now because you don't like it. Young folks, get over it. You're passionate about everything in the world except for God. How can you tell? Go to a restaurant, watch what all the kids are doing in a the restaurant. They're all playing on a phone. And I'm going to tell you something. Today we went to lunch with my family. Not a one phone was out on the table, and it would have been, I would have said something, because I'm not taking your lunch and just watch you look in the phone at Amazon to buy you some book on passion. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Well, it's family time. We're going to spend time together. I understand why husbands and wives do that because they can't talk to each other. I, got, I, got, I understand it helps to have a healthy marriage. That in separate houses or bedrooms or whatever it may be. But anyhow. But we're filled with that. Let me give you. Everything in life conspires to keep us from being passionate. Now, I, I'm, I'm more laid back. I'm more uh, the Methodist type uh, uh, excitement guy like Pastor Dean is. That, that's always been my flavor uh, in life, and I do get excited, but I cry tears when songs are being sung, and I have emotions when things are being made. This morning, the girls were singing. Sorry, girls. Ladies were singing. But to me, your girls uh, singing. That's one of my favorite songs. When I'm mowing the grass and that comes over my headphones, I'm sure they hear me all over the neighborhood, and I've got five acres to mow. I love that song. And it's all I can do not to, do, not to respond, be like Eric, but I don't want to be like Eric because i got to wear jackets like that, and I don't want to wear jackets like that. <laughs> but we ought to be passionate about it. See, to me, passion is showing up to work early. Passion is put what I got into it. Passion is put some oomph into it to me. It's not a matter of a show. It's a matter of what I put into something, if you would. When you, become, when you become a believer and you really understand what a good deal you got, you ought to be excited about that. I mean, we got a good deal. We got heaven. All we had to do was accept it. That's a pretty good deal. I like that. That's a whole lot better than a lottery. All my sins are gone. I have a purpose for living now. I have a future home in heaven. What a deal. Or as a man in my church, you say, what a bargain, preacher. Are you excited about when you give your life to Christ, you can be passionate about it. But as time goes by, you begin to lose your steam. You begin to lose your passion and your zest and, and, and your zeal and your enthusiasm. And what happens to us? And I want to spend uh, some time on what happens to us and help us overcome that. What happens? Why does this happen to God's people? Why do preachers lose their passion? Well, I will say, 
You deal with people for 20 years, it's easy to lose your passion. In fact, sometimes 20 minutes does it for me. <laughs> I, my passion has gone out the window. But I got to tell you, spending time with God often refuels the passion. And I realize that God loves that person as much as he loves me. And it'll be worth it all. Well, what happens? In God's word, I'm going to look at seven passion killers. Things that rob the joy out of life. Now, I know it's, uh, it's 10 till 7. And I do plan on getting you out of here by 8.30. I think that was the time. Was it 8.30? So I'll try to be quick on these this evening. 8.30 is good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I thought it was a very appropriate message right in the middle of this summertime. The summertime we're at, kind of the law of school starting and the temperature's changing. Humidity's gone a little better till whenever. And uh, Christmas. And uh, we're going to get back to this. But, but uh, I want to help us a little bit in this area and talk about these killers that are killing our passion. And it could be a checklist. If you want to take notes on it, you can. And uh, I think it would be helpful to you. But I, God says, love me with all your heart. And they're going to be very plain, and they're going to be very basic. They're going to be every things that you and I can do in our life every day. I think your life ought to be organized. I think we ought to have control of our life. Life shouldn't control us. We should control life. And we got to control what, what little things happen to us. So number one is this, and you're going to hear this and say, you're going to say, oh, that's just way too simple. Well, it is. I'm a simple guy. Number one is this, an unbalanced schedule. An unbalanced schedule. This means either you're overworked or you're underworked or you're going to lose your passion for life and you lose your passion for God. Hey, listen, I'm not trying, I can't define what overworked is to you. I can't define what underwork is to you. I can't do that. Uh, you have to decide what that is. But I'm going to pretty well guess that most of us are not overworked. Which means we're probably underworked. And whatever various things you may do. And through a day, you may have a number of things you have to touch and you have to address and you have to do something about. Life is a series of seasons. And the Bible says there's a season for everything. And there's a rhyme to life. And you need to have both things in your life. You need to have an input and you need to have an output. You need to have rest and you need to have work. And too much of either, though, will cause you to lose your passion. Too much work will cause you to lose your passion. Too much of doing nothing brings boredom. It'll cause you to lose your passion, uh, and you'll lose it. And if you're not working enough, you're going to lose it. You need to, you need to find a passion. Some, some of our problem is that, that we're giving, 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 and we're never taking time for us to take a little bit. We're always helping someone, and in the name of the Lord, in the name of just being a good, godly person, we're giving out, we're giving out, and you're working, and you're being very generous, and you're never taking time to recharge, and you need to take time to recharge. You're not a never-ready battery. You're going to run down. Spiritually, we're going to run down. We're not going to always keep going. Uh, if you never take time to recharge, uh, you're going to go unbalanced in the ministry. Uh, on the work side, if you, you're going to eventually work yourself into fatigue, then you've worked too much. You have to decide what you can do. I can't. I will tell you this and be honest. I don't like this at all, but I find myself slowing down. What I used to be able to do work-wise and what I can do now. I don't like that, to be honest about it. I really, I really don't. 
I'm not, I'm not a, I got to work from sunup to sundown guy, but man, I like to work some. And I find myself at home and I have a lot of projects I want to do around the house. And I usually get out there for a few hours Friday morning and try to get a few things done. And by lunchtime, I really, like, I really want to be done nowadays. I mean, spend a whole half hour out there, it's time to get done. But I'm just teasing. And I find myself at home, going home at night, I get an hour maybe or so after supper doing something. I think, man, I, I want to get more done, though. I want to get, because I like to get things completed. I, I like to see things finished. I don't like to leave a job undone. That's me. So, but I find myself saying, hey, Barry, a knucklehead, it'll still be there tomorrow. I don't like saying that to myself. So please don't take me wrong. But I want to get something accomplished in my life. I want to get something done. And, but if I do too much, I'm going to hurt myself. If I do too little, I'm too lazy. You have to decide what you can do. I can't decide that for you. But in an unbalanced schedule, you'll lose your passion. What is compassion fatigue? You just stop caring. You just don't care about God anymore. You don't care about other people anymore. You don't care about anything anymore. Why? Because you're burning out from too much work or too much service. And when you care and care and care, eventually you're going to get this uh, compassion fatigue. And I forget years ago when I took the, the Calvary Baptist Church and was pastoring there, I was, got there and had a little lady there. In fact, she's still there. She texts Andrea often and talks to her. Sweet little lady and, uh, that, that's been serving God. She was doing junior church. Uh, she was uh, working in the nursery when she could. She also was in charge of our uh, Pathfinders. Was it Pathfinders we called them? Gems and Jewels we called them. Oh, I should remember that. Gems and Jewels, and they were basically mentally handicapped people that we brought to our church. And she taught them Sunday school. She treated them just like she did any kid's class. She'd decorate the walls, and she'd make lessons, and she'd come to me and say, hey, Pastor, what do you think about these lessons? And she'd look at these things, and they're simplified. I mean, we're talking about 30, 40-year-old people, 50-year-old people who are handicapped. Some of them got mental issues, uh, uh, physical issues also. And uh, she'd bring them, and she cared for them people, but she was doing that, and junior church, and the choir, and this and that. And she said, and the first thing I said to her, you need to give something up. You're doing too much in church. And she was shocked. I said, and her name was Thelma. I said, Thelma, I want you to be here a long time serving God. And if you keep doing all these jobs, you're not going to make it. You need to give something up. You choose. I don't care. Whatever it is, you choose and we'll make it go. And she gave up a junior church time. Thank God. Guess what? She's still there today serving God over 20 years later. And she's... 20 years, twice as old as I am. No, I'm just teasing, but she is older than I am. But anyhow, and, uh, but listen, you're going to have to learn what you can do and not do. Others here, uh, others are, are working too much. Some here are not doing anything. You're always taking but never giving. There's a danger of being a taker and not a giver. You're going to become a bullfrog. which does nothing but sit around and croak. Yeah, yeah. You take in, take in. What, what, am I, what do I mean? You're always, you're always in a Bible study. 
You're always listening to teachers on the radio or podcast or whatever it may be, whatever your thing is. You're always listening to uh, uh, seminars and, and uh, you're buying everyone's newest book and you're going to Christian concerts and you go to all these workshops and you're doing all this stuff, but you don't do anything with it. You're a taker, not a giver. What are you? You're a bullfrog. You're always learning, always taking in, always inputting, and uh, you're never giving out. You don't have a ministry. You don't have a mission. You're not really helping anybody, and you think you're, you think you're, you're Mr. or Mrs. Spiritual, and you're not. You're a bullfrog. You're a croaker. You're not, you're just, you, you, listen, if, if all I did was sit around and eat all the time and never get rid of it, whoo, let's be factual, we wouldn't have a pew strong enough to hold us in church anymore if we all ate as we wanted to. I couldn't put enough two-by-fours under the pews to hold you in place. Concrete wouldn't work anymore. And that's what I call people, and the term came from holy rollers. You're so spiritually uh, uh, fit, taking in, and you never give out. You're no benefit to the cause of Christ. Because not only are we to be takers, but we're also to be givers. I don't know what... A problem may be you may have, but I know this. You either have too much output or not enough input. You have too much input, not enough output. I don't know what it may be. You have to decide. Uh, you either have to decide, I sure uh, hope God can help me through this. But listen, uh, let me be real fractal. I do this in my class, and they look at me like, what's he going to say now? Because he just lays it out there on the road. Let me give you a little shocking thought here, and I'm about done. You said, you got seven. I said, I do have seven. And the next time I preach tonight, night, I'll work on some more. How's that? We're not staying until 830 tonight. I'm planning on some grandkid time. No, I'm just teasing. I don't know where they're at. Let me give you a thought. Bible study without ministry is extremely dangerous. We're living a day-to-day where preachers think that their time is to spend 40 hours a week in the office learning the Bible to preach a half-hour sermon on Sunday, God help your pea-picking heart. That's not the ministry, by the way. People don't live in church. They live in a home or at work or at the hospital or somewhere else, and we're supposed to be out ministering to them. But the Bible says, Therefore, to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, what is it? If I'm all the time intaking and intaking and say, I'm Mr. Spiritual, I'm Mrs. Spiritual, I'm always doing this, I'm always doing that, I don't ever do anything with what I took in, I'm sinning. We don't like to hear that. That's what it says. We're sinning. We're to be taking in and giving out. Taking in, we are a receptacle, a conduit. We take in and we give out. We take in and we give out. And we get to prosper some from what we take in, amen? But we give it back out. That's what we're all about. It's the ministry. It's what church is all about. Church is not here to make you feel better. It's for you to get a place to plug in to serve God. But nowadays, we've got to make you feel good. We've got to have your type of whatever it may be, your buffet item, whatever it is you like, so we can keep you happy. And then the churches are falling off, by the way, because of that. 
Do you realize the more you know about God's plan for your life, the more responsible you are for that knowledge that God's given you, and the more responsible you are to share that with somebody else? The wonderful thing about studying God's Word is that I get opportunity not only to teach it, but to preach it and get rid of it. My situation may be to a crowd. Yours could be to another person. But if we don't do something with what we've learned, we're not actually acting upon what we know. And the more, to, more you know, if you don't do anything about it, it seems like we, we don't understand the, the response, what's going to happen. We're going to lose our passion. See, I believe today there are people a whole lot smarter than me that know more about the Bible than I know about the Bible, but they don't know the God of the Bible. You know what I mean? They're history teachers. They're doctors in history of the Bible. They know the Bible very well. They understand where it's placed at in history. They understand all the things, geography speaking-wise. They know more than I know about that. But if you don't know the God of the Bible, you don't know nothing. In the beginning, God or not. And if you don't start with God, you, you, you end up with all these crazy ideas and all these crazy things going on, all these crazy doctrines we're talking about and, and whatever. And uh, uh, I, I start with God, so I, I believe what God says. And God says we're 6,000 years old. I believe that's how old we are. Well, that's kind of foolish, preacher, because you know they have, they have what? Do you think this was an egg that hatched one day and all of a sudden grew? Even if there was an explosion, the explosion had to have some form of substance to even form the earth that we have today, which means it would show some age when it was created. Right? I know, I know. I, I'm wait, some of you are like, it's 7 o'clock, can you get done? We need to go. I understand what you mean now when you say that. What's the antidote? Quickly, I'm done. What's the antidote for this? What's the, what's the antidote for this unbalanced? 1 Timothy 4, 6. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness for bodily exercise. Woo, I love this. Profiteth little. Amen. But, godly exercise, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. One word a balance. Yes, bodily exercise is beneficial. Don't take me wrong. But if that's all you're into, you're in trouble. There's a balance. We ought to be smart, take care of it. We ought to have a balance of life. Yes, I'm all for it. That the key to being a Christian is having a balance so you don't lose your passion. I get some of God today. You got two good sermons today, I hope. Tomorrow, give them to somebody else. Your synopsis, your words. Let's give it out and help somebody. Uh, we know to be physically fit uh, and have a proper, down, but, uh, proper diet. I'm not going to talk about food because it, it bothers me. I feel convicted about that. But to be spiritually fit, you need to have a balance of God's purposes for your life. We need to have a time of worship, private and corporate. You need to have a time where you're reading God's Word and not counting on someone else to help you to grow as a Christian. We need to have times of ministry where we come and take what we've learned and we do something with that, use our abilities. We need times of being, if you would, a missionary and sharing with our faith with others. We need all that. We need all that. And doing one thing over, I had one guy tell me, one preacher said, well, my whole ministry is nothing but study the Word of God so I can preach on Sunday. And I said, I bet your people are bored to tears. Because they want a preacher that loves them and hugs on them, is there when they need them, 
ministering to them, not only behind the pulpit, but in person, the ministry. And what God wants all of us to be are people in the ministry serving Him. And if you don't do that, you're going to be unbalanced, and then you lose your passion. Because i got to tell you what, one day serving God with people, you, you need to go back and plug in and get some more energy. Because <laughs> people can wear you out. Amen? Wear you out. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.